This is the Startup Pregnant Podcast, episode number nine. What does it mean to live a simple life? Aaron Boyle is the writer and photographer behind the popular website, Reading My Tea Leaves. She describes herself as a minimalist with a penchant for a good story and a soft spot for an aged patina. Her work has been featured in the Washington Post, the Architectural Digest, Refinery29, and many more places. Her approach to living simply is one that acknowledges that life isn't always simple, but the curtains can be. One of the first ways that I found out about her was through her documentation of how she lived in an apartment in New York City with a footprint of just 173 square feet. Her first book, Simple Matters, came out in January 2016, and as you'll hear me talk about in this episode, it is a beautiful book in layout, in design, and in its deeper message. Today we talk about her parenting journey and what it means to live a simple life if you're living in a tiny apartment with not just one, but with two kids under the age of three. In this episode, we talk about how you mitigate the complexity and demands of parenting with finding the simple things in life in the here and now. We talk about her dedication to a practice she calls habit shift. It's a philosophy that many parents might find a breath of fresh air in. We talk about what it means to slow down and live with courage, and how five minutes in a day can actually change the whole tenor of the rest of your day. I'm so excited to bring Erin to the show and to have her as a guest on the podcast, so let's get started. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Today's episode is brought to you by HippoGive. HippoGive is a new app that donates your change by rounding up your everyday transactions to the nearest dollar. It gives that money to the charities and the nonprofits of your choosing. If you've been wanting to donate to the ACLU, Planned Parenthood, or to disaster relief efforts, you can use this app, and it's a piece of cake to start donating. All you need to do is create an account, choose your charities, and then set your weekly donation Head over to the iTunes store and download the HippoGive app so you can get started today. As always, hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a minute to leave us a review, we would love that. If you need any of the show notes from the show, head to startuppregnant.com. All right, let's get started. I like to start out by asking people to tell us a little bit more of who they are and how they came to be who they are. So can you give us a bit of a background about who you are, where you come from, and how you got interested in minimalism and simplicity and the work you do today? Sure. So I don't know. I guess I always start with my childhood. I'm one of four sisters Mm. and I grew up along the Connecticut shoreline in a big old house, which I feel like is as much a character in my growing up as anything. We moved into it when I was seven and I feel like I was just at this super impressionable age. And the house is also very old. So it was built in 1741 and it loomed like larger than life in my experience. And I was so kind of like informative in terms of how I thought about spaces and 
material culture more generally. Like I just became very interested in kind of how people have lived and where they lived and how they made their lives. And so, you know, kind of starting from that super young age, I was really interested in history. I was like a total, of course, like used with complete affection toward myself and others. You know, I was like a total nerd and just really interested in, you know, old fashioned days, you know, what life looked like for people that lived in other times. And so I kind of, you know, I started volunteering at my local historical society and from elementary school on that kind of was just like a part of my, my life all the way through college where I did internships in historic preservation and oral history. And yeah, just kind of was really interested in museums and and how we know what we know about how people have lived their lives. And all the way through grad school where I did a, a master's in public humanities, which was a degree focused broadly on presenting the humanities to the public. And, you know, that took kind of different forms for me and for other classmates. So whether it was museum studies or public programming at cultural institutions or, you know, that kind of thing, that's what I studied in graduate school. And then, you know, before graduate school and through graduate school, I was writing a blog. So I started it kind of on a whim. And like a lot of these things, you know, it was like 2009. And one of my my dear friends kind of was like, oh, you know, I'm starting a blog. I think you should start a blog. And it was kind of a thing for us to do while we were bored at our jobs. And so I started and kind of figured it out and and just kind of kept it going through graduate school and then kind of ultimately decided that I wanted to write there. And a lot of the work that I do now is kind of a continuation, you know, not so much from a historic perspective, but a kind of conversation about what what are the choices that we make mm-hmm. and how they impact our lives, whether it's consumer choices or lifestyle choices or how we spend our time and, and our days. And, and yeah, for me, it all kind of fits. I, I think sometimes on paper, it looks like, what did this girl do? <laughs> Why did you go to graduate school? Why are you paying off those loans? Um, <laughs> But I actually think that it's all kind of very related. And, and I don't know that I would have done one thing without the other, kind of, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And there's so much of a storytelling narrative through all of this, right? The stories of people, the stories of space. Yeah. I've never actually heard of, you said public humanities is the yeah. graduate degree. I haven't actually heard that phrase before. So I find that yeah. so fascinating. And can you color that in? What does that mean? Yeah. Exactly? So, I mean, I guess the way I always describe it is it's kind of, you know, distilling for public consumption, things having to do with culture. So, you know, like I said, people kind of come to it from different tracks and, and, and do different kinds of work. So some of my peers and, you know, in my cohort work at art museums, some of them work mm-hmm. at history museums, some of them work on, you know, oral history projects, some of them have gone on to do creative writing, some of them work from more of like a development or grant writing, mm-hmm. you know, side of things. But it's all kind of related to the humanities generally. So if you think about like the National Endowment for the Humanities, like that also kind of starts to like fill in a bit, I think, what the program aims to do, but it's a relatively, you know, new field. It's kind of what people used to call museum studies, but it's mm, more broad mm-hmm. than more broad than that. And there's, you know, kind of only a handful of programs in the country. So I did a program at Brown University and and since it started Oh, gosh, I wish I knew exactly when it started. I forget. But, you know, the others have kind of cropped up at different different universities. And yeah, I think, you know, are doing kind of interesting things. And yeah, just mm. making the humanities accessible on a kind of public 
level. Right, so, right. Our public institutions, cultural institutions, that kind of thing. Right, right. Right. And so it's so important. Like, who are we and how do we tell stories yeah. about who we are and, exactly. and, and stories about not just individuals, but about culture. So right. quick side. And I yeah. apologize if I don't know this and I should know this, but oh. so your blog is reading my tea leaves, but yeah. I don't actually know the origin story of why you named your blog this name. Oh, gosh. Oh. Well, um, <laughs> Sorry. Did, have you answered this a hundred times before? No, no, no. I mean, yes and no. I mean, it's kind of funny. It's, I really okay. just, I started it because I, it was, you know, January, I had submitted applications for graduate school in, you know, like December. I was like literally feeling like I was, you know, or figuratively, I guess more <laughs> Is more apt <laughs> that I was like reading my tea leaves to see what the future would kind of hold, you know, like what I was I going to go to grad school? Where was I going to live? What was I going to do? What was my career going to look like? I was 25. I, you know, was just kind of figuring stuff out. Mm. And so I called it reading my tea leaves. I do not read tea leaves. I never have read tea leaves. One day, maybe I should. <laughs> um, it would really help my like SEO if maybe that was related <laughs> to my content. But oh, well. Live and learn. <laughs> mm -hmm. So if anybody doesn't know, Aaron has this amazing blog called Reading My Tea Leaves, and it's so beautifully laid out, like both from a taxonomy and structural design of how you can find the information and find old posts, uh -huh. as well as it's just beautiful to look at, right? The simplicity and the layout and the photography, which you do all yourself, right? You do all the photography. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. Thank you. So one of the things you talk about on your blog is this theme of finding simplicity amongst mm -hmm. chaos, right? And that's right. a great theme for parenting as well as just modern life. You wrote this this piece that I have. You say, anybody will tell you that parenting is not always simple. In any given day, there might be a million complications, competing desires and distractions and hurdles to leap over. There are demands to satisfy or distract from and vagaries of mood and energy to navigate. Bedtime doesn't make any of that go away, but it does take the chaotic moments of day and distill them into the essential ones. And you realize this is it. Childhood memories, a tangle of limbs and heartbeats and stories at bedtime. And I just like my heart melted when I read this. And I was wondering if you could speak more to this tension between like the complexity in our parenting lives and then yeah. the like this like kind of relief that yeah. comes with simplicity. Can you speak to this? Yeah, sure. Oh, man, you know, it's something that I really, I feel like have been thinking just so much about lately, this kind of, you know, idea of like, I think especially because I'm asked to speak about simplicity a lot, I feel like I'm constantly asking myself the question, like, is mm. my life simple? Huh. <laughs> Today, I like ran to the subway, ran back to the subway, ran up and down the stairs, like had to, you know, send a million messages and figure out dinner and send a million like replies and figure out my business and like, ugh, you know, like so many things that just don't feel simple, let alone like dealing with, you know, like a three year old and a six month old. And I think that what I've found helps me is kind of finding those moments that truly are simple. So like in that piece, I was kind of writing about bedtime rituals. And, you know, in our family, we read stories before bed. And that is a moment in my day where you just kind of like melt into it. Like you just, you can't be sending emails. You can't be running up and down the stairs. You can't be vacuuming the like dried lentils from under the kitchen table. Like you can't, <laughs> you know, be doing anything else but kind of letting your kids 
lay their heads on your chest and read to them. And for me, that is like an essential part of just like refocusing every day. And I think the more we're able to kind of seek out those moments, I mean, I think that's how we get through it. That's how we're able to kind of sort through all of the other things that are not so, not so simple. You know, I have this real conflict in my head about writing about simplicity, you know, as I mentioned, and wondering kind of what people's perception of my life is like. And I get worried that people, they're looking at my Instagram feed or my blog and they're saying like, oh my goodness, she's like just watching her kid eat cantaloupe all day. (laughs) What a wonderful way to pass your time. And like, yeah, like there are moments when I'm watching my kid eat cantaloupe and I love those minutes, but those are like minutes in a day. There are other minutes to kind of to navigate. And, you know, a minute after she's happily eating cantaloupe, maybe the next minute I cut the cantaloupe wrong and there's like a meltdown, you know, like (laughs) she's three, like this kind of stuff happens all the time. And I think like being able to kind of navigate that, you know, is what any parent does, but kind of doing it on what I kind of think of as like a semi-public eye, like, of course, like I'm choosing what I put out into the world. So there's not like a video camera on me. Thank God all the time. (laughs) But I do. I just kind of like think about like, "Hmm, what are the messages? And And I want the message to be that we're able to choose simple moments and we're able to like just experience them and that they're necessary for our days without also saying like every moment is simple and like tra la la, I have no worries. (laughs) (laughs) And I think there's something that you said in there actually that's the brilliance of it. It's you use the word choose. And like when you're in bed reading stories to your kid, you have a choice. Again, I'm not going to profess to be perfect over here on the other side of the microphone and saying, well, you know, I'm always doing this. But most of the time, like, am I choosing to try to be here now? Or am I racing ahead and thinking about what's next? Or am I trying to do too many things at once? And that choice is what enables the simplicity in some ways. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And I, I mean, I find that I recently also wrote about you know, making, I think it was in a newsletter that I sent out, I wrote about like a breakfast smoothie that I've been making lately. And I found that I kind of am like clinging to this funny smoothie ritual in the morning where like, you know, everyone is like, I'm getting ready to leave the house. And there might be just 10 minutes before, you know, my husband and I are leaving for work and a babysitter is coming and kids are dressed or not dressed usually. And, you know, all of those things and, and taking like those 10 minutes to kind of methodically go about making a smoothie. And then we literally like sit on the kitchen floor and drink our smoothies, my daughter and I Mm. with straws, just like hanging out together. And it's not long. Like it's not like an afternoon spent idly sipping a smoothie, but it is five minutes that like changes the whole tenor of the morning. Yeah. Those are the kinds of things that I'm, I'm trying, trying to seek out and kind of give, give other folks like permission to seek them out. Like there doesn't have to be, I don't know. I think sometimes we live in this like kind of expectation that it has to be all or nothing. Like every Mm. single moment in a day must be idyllic and beautiful or else (laughs) I don't know what's going to happen. But like just a few moments can be idyllic and beautiful. And that also gets you along. Like these are the things that kind of propel us forward, not toward any kind of specific goal other than just kind of being satisfied. Mm. When I look at your work and when I see the various places that you publish, that's the experience I get. Like, oh, she captured these three moments today, right? Yeah. Not like, yeah. here is the some picture of my entire day, right? right? Like, it was all right. like, it was like 
20 hours of cantaloupe followed by six <laughs> hours of smoothie, <laughs> you know, but it was like, oh, here's the three, like the, here were the sweet moments today. And I think one of the things really, really generous about it and kind about it is that it doesn't have that like urgency or sense of arrival. Like, and now we're here, it's been achieved. And one of the things I love about the way that you work is it's this like quiet dedication. One of the series on your blog is called Habit Shift. And it's just a really great example of taking a very small thing and being like, today we're going to look at one little change. And, right. and then again, tomorrow we're going to try something else. Can you talk more about maybe your fascination with these slow inquiries and what it means to you? Yeah. Gosh, you know, I don't know. Some There's probably something to delve into in terms of like Catholic upbringing, like this kind of like, <laughs> oh, need for like, you know, to like, like, oh, uh, what can I do to like be a better human <laughs> on a daily basis? I don't know. I mean, I do think I am interested in, in that kind of like self-improvement and like, what can I do to be doing better? And I, and I don't kind of mean that, that I feel like that can sound kind of sad or like dissatisfied, but I actually think it's more about appreciating the human ability to be resilient and to make change and to kind of come out the other side of things, you know, like, okay, like, hmm, I realize that there's this thing in my life. I actually just wrote this piece that I'm going to put up that is about how like <laughs> the road to shifting your habits can be like long. <laughs> um, but for instance, I write in my book and I write on my blog and I feel like I've written a post 15 times about how much morning walks are very helpful to me. And yet I need to continually write this piece because I continually forget it. I continually <laughs> stop taking them. I continue continually feel, you know, stressed and frazzled. And then I'm like, oh, huh, interesting. Haven't exercised or kind of taken time out of my day to do anything but work or focus on my kids. A walk really helps. And so like, there's that idea that like, you can kind of set a goal for yourself and just like chip away at it. Just kind of, you know, do your best when you can. And But having the kind of like goal feels good to me. It's the same way, like I'm a real New Year's resolution person. I love them. I love writing down a list of like a million things I'm going to do this year. And I don't really have any problem whether I do that or not. <laughs> but I love that kind of idea of like, oh, it could be that I do this thing. Um, <laughs> and I don't know, that feels like hopeful to me. It feels like... It doesn't stress me out. It actually makes me feel like, oh, there's a whole world of possibility outside of what's currently happening. Mm. Whether or not like what's currently happening will kind of, you know, status quo might exist for quite a while longer before mm. there's any like measurable change. But that's okay. The change still could come. Like right. one day I might have a successful vegetable garden. Like right. it's okay if this year it's just that my runner beans have red blossoms on them right now like <laughs> i'm really alive but yeah you know like <laughs> who knows if the beans will ever come but whatever you know like yeah. i don't know i feel like it's nice to kind of just work on things yeah <laughs> no i totally understand there's this like gentleness of the inquiry that's really 
really a relief sometimes. Sometimes so much habit change and goal setting can be so fraught with like, and then you're going to do it for 30 days and be the best at it, right? And it's like very aggressive. And if you don't, you'll fail. Yeah. Right. Then we're going to design a watch that zaps you painfully. Right. Right? It's like it's like just so intense, right? I'm already sweating right. thinking about it. Right. Right. Um, and, and there's like something really generous about being like, oh, we shifted this little thing. We learned how to use fewer plastic bags and we have more cloth bags because we found these great ones. It's almost like you're like kind of sliding them in to your life Mm. as opposed to like (laughs) blunt objecting them into your life. You're like, oh, that was easy. Like I didn't have to, I'm not stressed with the adoption of it. So right, right, right. (laughs) Yeah. It's so appreciated. Mm. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So one of the things that this podcast really looks at is both sides of who we are, you know, as our own selves and in the work that we do, but also as parents and raisers of these little beings that yeah. depend on us. So I want to ask you a couple questions about parenting. Yeah. And I think if you don't mind, I'll start with the hardest stuff. So, okay. so, so we can go, we can go straight for the deep end and then, sure. and then ask some more questions. But yeah. parenting can be, I think, a lot harder than people give it credit for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What have been some of the harder parts about becoming a parent for you? You know, I think that one of the hardest things and also ultimately the best things about parenting is that for me, it kind of feels like a moving target. It feels like, you know, whether it's like from the very mundane, like, is my kid sleeping? Mm. Hmm. No, not sleeping yet. (laughs) You know, like, and how do I make that change? And like working toward little goals. And then you kind of feel like, oh, I've discovered something. Yay. Now my baby's sleeping. And then two weeks later, the baby's no longer sleeping. And the kind of target shifts again. But at the same time, that kind of moving target offers a bit of relief also because, like, okay, well, if it's not, good now. Like we'll figure it out again later. Mm. You know, this kind of idea, like, I don't know. Like I'm not, I think being comfortable with things being uncertain is so much of what parenting is and has been for me and kind of learning to like embrace that and not get too worried about it. I don't know. I feel like we're redoing our like childcare schedule all the time and we're redoing our dinner routine and our sleep routine and our toothbrushing game and like, you know, whatever it is, all of the little things that you kind of work at trying to make simple and make easy and some things are and some things aren't. And it just feels like on one hand, it feels like it's kind of like ever moving, which is both a comfort and a discomfort, you know, like there are elements of that that feel exhausting and elements of that that feel relieving. Hmm. So you have two kids, right? You said three and six months, three years and six months, two different ages. So one is three years, one is six months. Um, So thinking back when, if you can remember when, before you were a parent, Mm. were there things about parenting that totally surprised you? Like you wish someone had told you in advance? I don't think I was surprised by parenting. I guess I was surprised that I could function on so little sleep. (laughs) Uh, I guess I was surprised that I could be a morning person after all. 
those kinds of things. Like I feel like you, there's so much kind of like rising to the occasion that happens Mm -hmm. in parenting. That's kind of like a little bit miraculous. Like, huh, didn't think I could do that, but (laughs) I'm doing it. You know, Mm -hmm. whether it's like, I don't know, cleaning up, throw up or, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever it is. You know, and there were things about giving birth that kind of surprised me and, and things about kind of like the nitty gritty that surprised me. But in as a whole, I'm not sure if surprise would be a word mm-hmm. that I'd use. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I don't know what word I would use. You know, this is like, not to go off on like a huge tangent, but but one thing that I actually find so fascinating, and it's partially like the line of work that I'm in and partially, but I don't think it's like unique to only people who are writing about their lives and their experiences. I think this kind of happens all the time. And also I should say like no shade at all intended when I'm saying <laughs> this, but like it's so interesting how much we ask parents to speak about their parenting or about their Mm. motherhood or about their, you know, experience of becoming a parent when like, I feel like I'm in it, man. Like I have a six month old. That's like Mm. a little baby. Mm. You know, like I'm figuring it out. And I don't know if I have like the perfect answer. And I feel like it's interesting, like thinking, I guess that's something that did surprised me that before I became a parent, I would read things written by other parents, you know, predominantly mothers and think like, oh, wow, huh. Hmm, She figured it out. Okay. Interesting. She is doing this thing, whatever it is. And then kind of realizing like, oh, no, like, no, no, no one's figured it out. (laughs) You know, like I'm going to listen to this podcast probably six months from now and like be like, kind of like intrigued by the things that I said, you know, like, I just feel like it is so much like, and I don't mean to like make too much of it, but you know, it's like a roller coaster, like it's Mm -hmm. unpredictable and, and knowing in the moment, like having any real like pearls of wisdom, I feel like the only thing I really know is that I don't quite know. Like, (laughs) I'm, I'm just kind of rolling with the punches and, and figuring it out. And, just in the thick of it. And I think like that, giving ourselves the like, ugh, to use like a slightly saccharine term, but like the grace to just be in it and not have any like extreme revelation about it, I think is hmm. helpful. Hmm. Uh, and I think it's part of what like, I don't know, I think, for instance, about the refrain that I've heard so often since giving birth specifically, I realize this is kind of a specific example, but if you allow me it, the, Please, go this, right I, on. this idea that, you know, so many women after they have given birth feel a little bit surprised by the physical experience, like mm. this, like, oh, whoa, ooh, that was a doozy. Like, oh, this is, means recovery and this means pain and this means mm, complications that I didn't anticipate or, oh, interesting, I didn't have those complications. But whatever it is, like the knowing what it will be like to give birth is like such this enigma. And yet, like you go into it thinking that you're, that you already know it. And I feel like, I don't know, I lost my train of thought a tiny bit, but I guess what I'm just trying to say is that like, we're all kind of figuring it out as we go. Like even people who seem like they figured it out are still figuring it out. Like each day presents a new 
challenge. And I don't mean that to make it sound like it's all like this onerous slog, like, oh, parenting <laughs> this like terrible experience of just mm-hmm. relearning over and over. But it is kind of like this thing that just like ebbs and flows. And and I I think giving ourselves the like permission to not know everything about it is really freeing. Oh, I love that. I love the phrase too you were saying earlier about like I got through it and I didn't have a revelation about it. You didn't yeah. say exactly those words, but I understand exactly. what you mean of and it wasn't like this massive, amazing, aha, now I have the answers. Let me go back hero's journey style and like tell yeah. all of you women, now you must know. <laughs> right, right. I have unto the wisdom to give you. Yeah. Um, which is such a, a nice, I'm trying not to use the word nice or sweet, right? But like yes. uh, such a kind way of, of saying it. And yeah. and yet you also said something, and here is the paradox, right? That when yeah. we get specific about things, it can be really helpful to other people. You right. said something about childbirth that I'd love to know more about if you're open to talking about it. Like it's oh, different yeah. than what you expect. And you, you've now just had your second baby. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and you're, and he's, he or she, she, he, 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 he is six months old. So you're still very much like in active recovery in many ways. How is it going? How do you feel? Yeah. I mean, I feel good. You know, I feel great. Like by and large, I feel like, you know, it was like to use like worst term on earth. I bounced back relatively quickly. <laughs> you know? um, and like in a lot of ways, I feel like that's true. But then there are moments when like, I don't know, I'll be you know, my husband and I will have like done bedtime, everyone's asleep, we're sitting at the kitchen table, we're talking and I'm like, gosh, why do I feel so drained and tired? And it's like, oh, right, because I have an infant. (laughs) You know, there's this kind of, I think like, I don't know if it's like particular to Americans, but I kind of feel like it is that we have this kind of real need for things to like for order to be restored and like for things to be, you know, quote unquote, back to normal. And like, I don't know, it's not exactly, but it's also been totally fine in most ways. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I don't know. It's like a funny, like, as you say, it's a funny paradox because on one hand you feel like, watch out world, I now have two children. Like <laughs> life is hard and I need special care. And on the other hand, you're like, I'm totally fine. What are you looking at? Like, I've got this under control. I don't need any special attention. (laughs) Right. Right. And the number of moms out there that have two children, you're like, what? We're just doing this. It's fine. Right. Right. It's no big deal. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So I don't know if you have a story about this, but I'd love to ask you the question and see where it goes. One of the themes in this book that I'm writing for Startup Pregnant is about courage and parenting. Mm -hmm. And it's been a very, just like such an interesting exploration into different people's lives. So I want to ask you what courage means to you and how you bring it up with your children. How do you teach your mm. children, your young ones, about living a life of courage? Mm. Well, you know, I do think it's it's an interesting thing. So I actually feel like I've kind of just come out of this phase with Silas who's my youngest, where I feel like there's this moment, at least there was a moment for me after having both of my children, somewhere it's more like around like the three or four month mark, where you're kind of confronted with this idea, like, not that it doesn't happen immediately, but I don't know, I feel like in both times, it probably coincided with like really 
going back to work more full time and really being away from the house more and like being separated from my kids more where you kind of feel like, holy crap, my kid is out in the world somewhere without me right now. Mm. And anything could happen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, this kind of like feeling. And I actually wrote about this once and I was so shocked by some of the response to the piece because I wrote about kind of like the courage necessary for like getting on the subway and taking your kid off to a babysitter and returning home without that kid. And, you know, everyday courage that it requires to be a parent. There were some responses that were lovely and encouraging, probably I'm sure the majority of them, but there were a few responses that were not so encouraging and kind of said, okay, get over yourself, Erin. Like, it's not like you're parenting children in like a war-torn nation and without food and resources and all of that. And my gosh, totally valid points. I am not doing those things. And for sure, the challenge and courage needed to parent in those kinds of conditions are certainly more than I face or could even begin to understand. And yet at the same time, I kind of do believe that courage is not really, it's not really relative. (laughs) You need to muster courage sometimes to climb a flight of stairs when you have two kids strapped to your body. Mm -hmm. Or you need courage to make dinner or courage to get through bath time or whatever. Like, Like, that's also courage. Like, it doesn't... And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not negating any other experience where like, where courage is needed, but like, it's okay to like, feel like you need to like, sometimes really call upon your like, deepest sense of like, bravery to like, Mm -hmm. get through a difficult moment, you know, like, that's what all parents need to do. Like, there are big challenges. There are huge challenges. And, you know, like I said, many of which I can't even begin to, I've surely not experienced and, and might never or might very well that require courage. And then there are like little tiny daily moments that require courage and like both are valid. Oh, I, I love that perspective so much because I think, I think something really important that you're saying is not to diminish the courage that's needed to live every day. And you're learning how to teach your kid to sleep, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to listen mm-hmm. to your kid cry a little bit if that's your choice, right? Like you, right. everyone sure. has different different choices. Yeah. But that requires a lot of courage in those moments yeah, to make totally. a decision on behalf of your child or getting on the subway. I don't know. I live in New York City as well. And getting on the subway takes courage from everybody. <laughs> that subway is terrifying. Um, right. There's massive levels of bravery required of people who are doing these extreme things, but also this courage of just having like a beating heart come out of you. And like, like you have to like, let it go. Like what could, like, what is more courageous? Oh, it's so tender and so fragile and so important. And there's so many stories, right? Like people who burst into tears, but they're also like happy five minutes later because they have, it's like, what's happening to me? (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So many beating hearts. <laughs> and they're and they're like part of you, but they're totally not, right? They're com- totally. they're their own people and you see them out totally. there but walking that's around. Like, that's the other thing that's like fascinating, you know, like Silas is six months old, so like his courage is kind of it manifests itself in, in kind of more hidden ways. But like a three year old, like my three year old 
holy crap, she's way more courageous than me. Mm-hmm. You know, like the city watching her kind of like physically take on the world is like, oh, I don't know. It like gobsmacks me, you know, mm-hmm. like watching her kind of, you know, climb up to the top of the jungle gym and drop to the ground, which is her favorite activity, you know, <laughs> like, like, holy crap, like, you know, like, yeah, like, it's just like so interesting all the different ways that, you know, we find ourselves being brave. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so important because it's what this journey into into something that's new, right? Into something where yeah. the outcome is uncertain. And maybe totally. that's one of the themes that's so beautiful about your writing, your blog, but the philosophy you have on life too is that it is living, like it is in progress. It is to be lived. Mm. Um which came up when you're talking too about parenting earlier about mm. there's no arrival, right? Like we're living parenting as we right. do it. Yeah, totally. So my last question for you yeah. is about, I'm going to ask you this in a couple different ways. So it's going to be sure. like an ABC kind of question. <laughs> but, okay, okay. Um, what do you wish more people knew about pregnancy? Um, pregnancy. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that I, oh my gosh, I feel like I wish people knew that everyone's experience is different. Mm. You know, that like, uh, there is so much. And I, I'm sure if I like went back and listened to everything I just said, there's probably, I've probably done it too. So, ugh, mea culpa. But I do think that like, there is so much speaking in universal terms about these experiences when like, hmm, like not a universal thing. Like it's just my pregnancy felt one way and a friend's pregnancy feels a totally different way. And there are so many complicating kind of factors that mean like we experience it in different ways. And I don't know that, that I guess like a wide array of feelings about it are like, well, all feelings about it are valid, you know, mm-hmm. like you can like hate it one day and love it the next. And you can love someone complimenting your perfectly round basketball shaped belly, or you can hate it. And like, it's your body and you're allowed to have an opinion about it. Mm-hmm. Mm. So you just hit one of the <laughs> the themes of the podcast, which I didn't actually tell you about in advance. So I love that we're here. Um, but one of my three favorite words that we use on my team is in my experience. So when people are talking, if they start to go too universal, I say, oh, in your experience, right? In my experience. And, but you just hit it so perfectly because there's so many different manifestations of it, both across all of the people. And there's so many humans, but also inside of yourself, right? You just said it. You can feel like great and awesome and be like strutting down the street and be like, I'm the best, baddest pregnant lady there ever was. And then, (laughs) you know, the next day you're like this is terrible. (laughs) Right. Totally. (laughs) Or whatever is your truth. Yeah. So the same question, what do you wish more people knew about parenting? And I know we talked about this a little bit before. So yeah, I mean, I guess I would, would go back to kind of what I was saying before, like this idea that like, there's not going to be probably like an epiphany, like you are just going to be in it. And maybe when you're like, an old man or an old woman, you will have some like real insightful thing to say. <laughs> but like, it's okay to not have an insightful thing to say. Mm. 
I'm giving mm-hmm. myself permission right now, by the way. <laughs> so yes. anyone listening to this can be like, oh, wow, well, she was just on my book. Real rough. You know, like, but it's true. Like, it's, I don't, I don't know. My truth one day about parenthood is different than my truth the next. And, mm-hmm. and that's okay. And, and also like, yeah, I know. Anyway, yeah, I guess I, I'll just leave it there. That kind of, you know, it's okay to feel kind of conflicted about it. It's okay to feel like it's a moving target. It's, you know, sometimes you have days, I think, when like you feel like totally on top of it and other days where it totally bowls you over. Mm-hmm. And then the third part, it's ABC, so C, yeah. is about doing work. And for you, blogging running your own, speaking, everything. Do you have a name for the type of work that you do, by the way, as a side question? I guess mostly it's, I tend to kind of fall back on writing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although, of course, there's kind of like a larger storytelling component. The one thing I never say is content. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I guess it's mostly kind of writing. Yeah. But you are, in essence, also a business owner. Sure, of course. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Right, right. And these are... Yeah, kind of keeping a media site. Yeah, running a media site where I publish my own works. (laughs) Exactly. So third question is, what do you wish more people knew about what it takes to do all of this, to be a writer, to run your own business, to have a media site? Oh, I guess that it just requires help. I mean, it requires help. Like I do not do this work with my children at my feet. I do not do this work with anyone on my hip. I do not do this work with my kids around. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like it is, it's work that's flexible in some ways. And so my husband and I have been able to figure out ways to kind of divvy up childcare in addition to relying on my mom. And in addition to hiring a very regular babysitter, you know, so that we can all kind of be with our kids as much as possible and work as much as possible. And none of it could get done without support for childcare support. That is like so important. And I can't tell you how often that part of it gets, seems unclear to folks that, you know, people ask me, you know, what it's like to work from home, the implication that the children are also home, which hasn't been true for me. It hasn't been possible for me to write essays or take photographs or run the business side of things, you know, with children right close by and finding out like how much childcare I need and finding out how to pay for that childcare and committing to it is like so important. And I feel like it's so important for women in general, to try to figure that out if that's important to Mm. them and for families to figure that out together. It's been kind of astounding to me how much we are still in the relative dark ages in terms of equitable parenting in general, advocating for yourself and your family and, you know, getting a partner involved and on board is just like crucial. Yeah. Or it has been for me. And and I try to be quite frank about that. And yet still, I feel like, ugh, I still somehow feel like I'm sometimes sending a message like I both are happening simultaneously, Mm -hmm. the work and the family. And 
they of course are and they aren't, you know, it requires quite a bit of childcare, which I'm eternally grateful for. We've been extremely lucky to have extremely compassionate and smart and terrific people helping us in our life. But yeah, necessary for me. (laughs) Yes. And I think this actually almost goes full circle back to where we started in some respects about talking about cultural narratives. Mm. And one of the things of the last 50 years has been how has our narrative shifted around women being homemakers, right? Yeah. And and doing this tremendous job at home, full-time work. And then as women work, what does that mean for what has to happen? And there has been this kind of mashing up of like, oh, they're doing both maybe kind of, yeah, but is right. there like, where are we talking about the economic side of this? And the yeah. I sometimes do a similar thing where I, I have to kind of put a megaphone up on my Instagram or wherever and say, by the way, I have 40 hours a week of childcare. I'm not just writing with my child in my lap. Ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, right. So in the vein of transparency, how much time a week do you have support and help and how much time do you get to spend on your business? Can you share? Oh yeah, sure. It works out to about 40 hours a week of, of care that, you know, some of it is still a little bit, you know, I tend to have one day a week where we don't have a a babysitter that comes, but my mom comes in. And so I kind of take up the slack in like the morning and the afternoon when she can't be here. And then I often have to work on the weekend as a result of that. And so, you know, that's when my husband, you know, is with the kids. But I try my best to be with them as much as possible on the weekends, too. But, you know, sometimes that's not possible. Yeah, but, you know, it's a bit cobbled together, but it's about, you know, 40 hours a week. Okay. That's really, I think it's so so helpful to to hear. To be honest, though, you know, I feel like I need... 60, to be totally honest, you know, like, I feel like for the site to be what I want it to be, like, I would be working more on it. And that's been a kind of like, you know, realization for me, like, oh, huh, I was like a real workaholic before. (laughs) So to like, keep up with that pace would have been kind of like financially impossible. Do you know what I mean? Like, not not only financially impossible, but also would have meant like, oh, I don't, I don't really either want to have a lifestyle where I don't, I don't get to see my kids for, for more than 40 hours a week. So kind of, you know, navigating that has been a tricky, a tricky part of becoming Mm -hmm. a parent for sure. Kind of deciding like, oh, I really like to work. I really love to create new projects. And in some ways I feel like the past three years I haven't, that's that I also, you know, wrote a book when my kid was you know, seven months old. So it's okay. Like, yeah, uh, yes, yes. Talk about, like giving yourself permission to like, <laughs> That's know, so like accept what you've like done. But like, you know what I mean? Like there are other things, like I feel like a little bit jumping at the bit to do new projects and also like, <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, you can't necessarily launch like a million things while also trying to be with your family a lot. Like they're do Keep a human fun. alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that actually makes me feel so much better. I I feel the same way. Sometimes I'm tearing my hair out and I and go to my husband. I'm just like, I want to do all these things. Like, why is my book not finished? Why is this not finished? Why I want to do And he's like, well, look what you did already. Like, we've made a child. There's other things that are happening at the same time. I'm like, oh, right, right, right. Aaron, thank you so much. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Startup Pregnant Podcast. If you have a question or a comment about the show, head to startuppregnant.com for all of the show notes, episode quotes, and more. We have weekly blog posts and a lot of bonus resources all over at startuppregnant.com. If you want to support the show, the best thing you can do right now is hit subscribe and then leave us a review. And if you'd like to become a sponsor, go to startuppregnant.com slash sponsors to find out more. Thank you so much. And I'll see you on the next episode.